Hello, everyone. This is Coach Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains podcast. And as promised from my last episode, I recorded with John Goldfield uh, about the Madeira 112K. Um, and let me just start by saying John is tremendous. Um, he's just enthusiastic, um, positive. I love just talking with John because after the conversation, he's one of those people that you just feel better. Um, so I hope you leave this conversation uh, feeling the same way. Uh, really cool to hear about Madeira. It is one of those ones that, you know, on an offshoot, sometimes you hear about it. You know, obviously when Courtney won it and, and Jim Walmsley won it, it's, uh, you know, we hear about it a little bit more, but um, sounds like it's a race that's uh, that's worth visiting and putting on our bucket lists. So, um, let's, uh, let's hear, hear from John and, uh, I'll, uh, I'll come back on afterwards and catch up with you guys. Uh, until then enjoy. All right, here we are. John Goldfield, All man, right. the legend. <laughs> here he is. Right in front of me. So John, it is, um, wonderful to see you, um, virtually as it be, but, uh, he's wearing his Madeira, 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 Madeira. Yeah. <laughs> Madeira Island Ultra Trail hoodie that looks pretty cozy. It's um, really nice, yeah. Oh man, I'm jealous <laughs> of multiple multiple things, multiple reasons for being jealous. But um, so John, uh, just you were on. We were just discussing. You were on an earlier episode with uh, with the Barkley Fall Classic, uh, and I'll, I'll put that one in the the show notes so folks can dip back in if they want to learn more about that because that was a fun show. Um, but uh, why don't you just give a, a rehash about who is John Goldfield and where did John come from and how did he get to this point? <laughs> right. Um, so I uh, I came to trail running pretty late in life. I will be 57 this month. And really, it's been about 10 years um, at the most that since I started even doing any kind of running. Um, I ran a little bit in high school. I actually ran a few 10Ks in high school and um, and sort of, uh, was a back of the pack, uh, cross country guy for a couple of years, but never really took to it. Um, always sort of felt like, you know, running was too painful and all that stuff, but, uh, but somehow got into it about 10 years ago, um, uh, making fun of a friend of mine who was a trail runner and making fun of his Vibram five finger toe shoes. Uh, <laughs> he convinced me to put Strava on my phone and, I started just kind of jogging a couple miles at a time and um, sort of slippery slope, uh, you know, started running a little bit longer, did a half marathon and did a marathon and hated it and did that <laughs> marathon again and hated it still and somehow found the trails. And that was it. I mean, that was kind of the the catalyst for all of this is that I started running in the woods and started meeting some people and, um, you know, took a chance on a, on a 50 K I did the mountain to see 50 K back in 2017, I think. Um, and, um, and that was really hard and amazing. And these people that I met were, you know, a trip and all of that stuff. And, and yeah, just, just found my way into the ultra running community. Um, par also partially by volunteering at the Umstead 100, um, I volunteered one year there and I was completely hooked and, um, and decided that I wanted to strive to, uh, run that race one day. And I was able to do that my first 100 in 2019. So yeah. I've run 500 mile races now since then. And, um, 
a smattering of 50Ks, a couple of 50 milers, a variety of other stuff in there too. But this was my first (laughs) international race. Super cool. Yeah. And John is from the, the research triangle area. Um, as you mentioned, he's, uh, he does yep. a lot of, uh, volunteering when Umstead occurs. He's, uh, one of the, the medical coordinators for aid station two. Is that right? Well, actually this year I got, uh, I got upgraded, uh, promoted to, uh, the main headquarters aid station. Oh, so I run that, uh, the whole time and, <laughs> uh, oversee, um, some of the medical as well, along with, uh, the main, um, uh, medical director, uh, Dr. Ferrari. Um, so yeah, I've become sort of a, an integral part of the Umstead. They, uh, they, they <laughs> folded me into the family. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. Very cool. And, and John is also a father. Why don't you tell us yep. about that part of your life? Two amazing, uh, practically grown young women. Um, uh, Audrey is in, uh, in Scotland at St. Andrews university. Uh, she'll be starting her junior year there and, Cora Lee will be starting her freshman year at Drexel uh, University in Philadelphia this year. So they're, they're amazing. They're super supportive of me. Um, yeah. My favorite people in the whole world. Right on. That's wonderful. John, John is just a well-rounded individual. <laughs> um, he has a great website. Um, he does a lot of good write-ups on races and um, we'll, we'll mention the, that towards the end. So folks can check that out and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but that said, um, prior to Madeira, um, am I saying it right? Madeira? Yeah. Madeira. Madeira. Okay. Um, so prior to Madeira, what would you say your hardest race to date was? Um, it, it, it seems like every race I've picked, um, it's, is harder than the last. Uh, <laughs> so probably the Tahoe rim trail, uh, that I did last summer, um, would qualify as that it was, um, uh, you know, it had a lot of elevation gain overall. It was, um, at a little bit of elevation. The highest point was, you know, 8,000 something feet. Um, and it was just a different environment too. It was, uh, somewhat warm, dry and windy. So I had to deal with some, uh, not only dehydration, but, you know, mild hyponatremia issues that, uh, I had to troubleshoot during the race. And, um, and it was a long one. I, I finished in the golden hour and it took me, you know, 32 something hours. And, uh, I was out there on my feet a long time. Uh, <laughs> actually, I think it was more than 32 hours. I don't know. It was, it was in the end. <laughs> I wasn't last, but I was in that golden hour for sure. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. so, you know, that said you did it, you know, you did Tahoe, the, the rim, you know, 100 and, you're like, God, that, that was, that was rough. Um, so along comes Madeira. Right. (laughs) So I have this friend, I have to, I have to credit, uh, my Norwegian friend, Magnar. Uh, I met Magnar through the, uh, Tanawa Adventures trail camps, uh, back in 2017, uh, or, uh, was it 2017? I think it was 2018 was when we did that camp. Um, and, uh, we became friends through a series of three of those camps that I did. I did one in Western North Carolina, then I did one in uh, New Mexico, then I did another one in Western North Carolina. And he and I became good friends. And I would follow his exploits um, because he lives in Norway uh, and can travel all over Europe. He does all these amazing European races. And one of the places he kept going year after year was Madeira Island, which is a Portuguese island off the coast, really off the coast of Spain. Um, sort of directly out from the rock of Gibraltar. Um, and it just, the pictures were just astounding. They're amazing. 
And so I kept saying, oh, you know, of all the races that crazy races that he does with tons of elevation and all this stuff that that's the one that if I was ever going to do a race, I would try to do. So fast forward to this past fall in September, he came out here to run Barkley with me because that was going to be my first year of the Barkley Fall Classic. And so he flew out here and was hanging out and he gets on the website for Madeira Island Ultra Trail and says, oh, look, there are only 25 spots left in the 115K. And I just had one of those moments where I said, well, let's see. I probably can't do it because it's in April and Umstead's in April and I've committed to that. And I look up the dates and it was two weeks after. I was like, okay, well, that's not that's not a problem. I said, oh, it probably costs too much to fly there. You know, it's all the way out in Portugal on some little mini island. And so I look up <laughs> some flights on orbits or something and they weren't all that expensive. They're about the same as flying to Europe. And then I thought, well, it's, it's just going to be overall too expensive. And he said, well, I get an Airbnb and we could split it. It's actually pretty cheap. They're not very expensive on that island. So basically I had no excuses and, <laughs> and I just was in the right frame of mind and, and just feeling a little bit crazy. And so I said, sure, I'll sign up. And then he panicked and said, well, wait, I got to sign up too. There was, we're running out of spots. So we both managed to get in kind of under the wire. Uh, and there's like a thousand people in this race too. It's a huge race. Right. Um, plus there are four different, I think, um, distances, uh, in this thing. So this is the, this is the, you know, the, sort of marquee uh, distance, the 115K. And then there's like an 85K and a 60K and a you know 20K or something like that too. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so we were signed up. Then it was just a matter of way back in September saying, well, I've got this thing it's out there. I guess I better do some research and find out like what the deal is. And that's when the reality started to hit me. <laughs> when I would look at the course profile and the overall elevation and uh, start to read some reviews, you'd have to read everything translated from Portuguese or French or Spanish or something like that. Because right. hardly any Americans run it except for last year. You know, last year, Jim Walmsley won it for the men and Courtney Dalwater won it for the women. So it was like this suddenly this cool thing to check out. <laughs> So yeah, so I was signed up and that's, that's uh, how that happens. That's great. That's great. Um, so tell us, uh, tell us about the course, you know, you started talking about how, you know, it's got this crazy elevation profile. Tell us all about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the elevation profile just basically looks like uh, a series of, you know, four giant climbs, um, really three big climbs with the middle section that looks like some some smaller up and down climbs, which is really funny because now in retrospect, that middle section was the most brutal, even though it doesn't <laughs> look as scary on the elevation profile. The elevation profile has these huge, massive spikes that you just say, oh my God, those are going to kill me. And they did, but it was that middle part that was really difficult and during the daytime and had a lot of technicality on the downhills and everything like that. So so yeah, it's got it's it's 115k, which is roughly 72 miles or so. Um, it um, it was estimated to have 7,100 meters of elevation gain, which is somewhere around 23,000, 24,000, depending on you know how that works out uh, of gain. So more elevation gain than Tahoe Rim Trail in a shorter distance. Because Tahoe Rim Trail was actually 103 miles. And this is only going to be what 72 miles or something. Right. So 50k uh, less. Yeah, it just looks like there's <laughs> on the on the profile of it, it looks like there is zero flat sections. 
Like everything is either up or down. <laughs> You're constantly climbing. But all you got to do is type in Madeira Island on Google and you see these amazing photographs of this. Madeira is basically like a, a volcanic island, um, really more like Hawaii than than anything I can sort of imagine. But it's like if you take Hawaii and you mix it with this colonial Portuguese you know, little terraced farms and just these quaint little villages, seaside towns, you know, fishing and all that stuff too. Um, but flowers and bananas and fruit and, you know, all that stuff all over the island. And because it's an island and it is so steep, it gets this cloud inversion layer halfway up every mountain. So you Every time you drive or climb or run or hike or whatever, you go through these clouds and you end up above them, even though the maximum elevation is only at 6,000 something feet. That's from sea level. So you're you're climbing, you know, from zero to 6,000 over and over a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then the other part of the course that's really cool is that it's um, a lot of the trails are sort of death defying um, in that they are built right into the side of these cliffs. Um, they're like hand carved, you know, hundreds of years old and other trails that are that have stones to to make the trail and, and stone steps or wooden steps or just boulders as steps and railings basically to keep you from plummeting to your death. <laughs> um, <laughs> but some of them are pretty narrow. <laughs> How do you do with heights? Actually, thankfully, I'm fine with heights. I mean, I, I will admit when I get close to an edge and look over, especially <laughs> if it's, you know, thousands of feet down, it, it's a little unnerving, but yeah. at least I don't get vertigo or anything like that. So, because yeah. that's one of the things about this island, literally on the maps, even there are um, little icons that they put on the maps that are, that have like a vertigo sign. And, mm. and it's like a warning for people if they have vertigo to not go past this point on the trail because you'll, you know, have a yeah. problem, clearly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's incredible. How big is the island itself? Um, I can't remember exactly how big it is. It is, uh, I had written it down somewhere. It's, I, I want to say like, I don't know, like 700 square miles or something like that. It's not, okay. it's not huge. Yeah, uh, well, that's yeah it's not a huge island. And and this course basically goes end to end for the most part. Mm. Um, but it's a somewhat circuitous route too. So yeah. Um. And yeah. how, um, what's the population like there is? Um, that's a good question. I don't know that for sure. The, the one big town is, um, is Funchal and it's a pretty big town. Um, but still, yeah, I, the population is pretty small. I need to look okay. up those stats. That would be helpful. Was that like the start or? No. So the start was in uh, a little town called uh, Porto Moniz, which is uh, on the sort of northern coast um, that um, is most known for its, uh, it has these volcanic uh, pools, uh, sort of like this volcanic rock that formed these pools that are fed by seawater uh, that people go and swim in and stuff like that. It's kind of amazing. Um and then just some restaurants and, you know, uh, some people fish from there and stuff like that. But it's a little tiny town. Um, and then you leave from there and you go up over the mountains um, and end in Machico, which was where I stayed, um, which is also a fairly small town. But it's a little bit closer to the airport and to uh, Funchal, which is the big town. Um, 
but Machico's again, just, you know, has a little, a little boardwalk area. It has a nice beach. Um, and, and then just lots of little shops and stuff like that and farms. How did you get over to the start? Uh, so you had a choice. You could um, you could ride a bus. Uh, they provided buses for all the uh, runners. But since we had um, uh, Magnar and I had rented a car and um, his fiance and my sister were there and my sister uh, drove us there basically to the start because then she and uh, Magnar's fiance crewed us um, throughout the rest of the race just by driving the car to the different spots. So how crew accessible was the course? Uh, it was not too bad. Um, it had probably, let's see, how many aid stations do we have? Two, four, six, eight, like nine aid stations. And probably at least six of those were crew accessible. Um, most of them were reasonable that she could drive up to. Some of them she had hiked just a little ways to get to. Um, the first section, it required a lot of um, coming back down the mountain and around and back up. But after about the first half, most of those aid stations were pretty accessible um, with really only a short drive between them, uh, just because the route kind of wound around and um, and had a lot more access that way. Uh, if you forgot, you know, let's say you forgot something, did they have any type of, of shops that, you know, or were you? Like- there, there was one running store okay. <laughs> in Funchal cool. and it was tiny. Um, we did go there cause that's what you do, right? You go check out running <laughs> stores. Um, but I, I didn't need anything thankfully, but, um, Magnar was looking for like gators or something like that and they didn't have it. Um, but they had, you know, they, they were selling hokas and some other European brands, innovate stuff like that. Um, the, at the expo, uh, they had a little bit of stuff for sale. The, um, the Madeira Island or mute as they call it, the mute program was selling, um, you know, some shorts and liners and shirts and arm warmers. I got a arm, couple arm sleeves that I bought, um, you know, bib holders. Uh, there was another uh, group there uh, called the Madeira Island uh, Oceans and Trails uh, group, and they were selling some uh, clothing. And then there was a, a clothing manufacturer that was a sponsor that was there selling a bunch of clothes as well. So it, it was a small little expo, you know, probably had a few, a few, tents or one big tent, but sort of included a, a few spots in it, but, but it, you know, probably bigger than most of the, the little ultras I've run around here. So tell me about the, uh, the excitement of doing a, uh, uh, international race. It's crazy. It's, um, it, it's just so wild because, well, first of all, there are only 10 Americans in this race mm-hmm. and two of them were elites. Green Malcolm and Abby Hall were mm-hmm. in it as well. And then there was one guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but, but I think he was listed as an elite too. And then the rest of us, you know, were just, I, I met one of the other Americans, uh, was just a regular guy from California. Um, so a huge number of obviously Portuguese, French, German, um, uh, Polish, um, you know, not too many from the UK, but there were some from the UK, um, you know, just folks from, from all over the place. Um, uh, but yeah, all of that sort of Southern Europe and, and almost central Europe, uh, places. So lots of different languages. And it was so funny being in Machico, I was there a week ahead of time. And so the last few days before the race, suddenly you started seeing people that you could tell were runners you know they show up and they've got the different looking shoes or 
they're wearing their hydration pack because you had to go and check in and and show your pack with the required gear and get a tag on it and everything and um people with utmb hats on and things like that you know you started to get a clue that that this was the crowd starting to show up and uh but yeah all the different languages and stuff it was really fun yeah was there much of a language barrier um so far as around the island or well it's it's funny English is kind of like the default language for a lot of these countries. And because so many people come from elsewhere to Madeira, um, a lot of the the shop owners and restaurants and everything would just default to English. Mm. And a lot of people would ask me if I was from the UK because they just didn't, you know, they, an English accent to them didn't necessarily sound any different. It was, you know, just speaking English, but, um, but even in the race um, there were a couple of times where I would be in a group of people and it would become clear that everybody was from a different country, but they were all sort of just default sharing, you know, English as the common language. Cool. Not lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you just mentioned the required gear. What did that look like? It was pretty basic. Um, you had to have uh, an emergency blanket. Uh, you had to have a minimum amount of water carrying capacity and, and food carrying capacity. You had to have a whistle. Uh, you had to have an ACE bandage. Um, let's see what else was in there. You had to have a certain type of coat, you know, that was going to be uh, at least water resistant to a certain level. Um, I think those were the basic things that you had to have in the bag. Um, but I, I basically checked in with my pack, you know, fully loaded with all that stuff in it. And they just asked me, is everything in there? And I said, yep. And they said, okay, here's your tag. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even look at it. But I guess they had the they had the right to or the ability to check anybody's bag at any point to make sure you had all your stuff in there. So right on. Cool. Uh what was the uh what was the weather like? Amazing. Um, it was it basically it was in the 60s to low 70s every day. The only day it rained was Friday morning uh, before the race started. Um and that was short-lived and um, night times were in the maybe mid to low 60s. Um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. We got amazing weather because the year before they had gotten rained on in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, that's not a big deal when it was warmer. But as you got up to the upper elevations, it got pretty cold. So even when we were running this um, and we would get up to the upper elevations, we were we would be wet at that point because not only you're sweaty, but then you're going up through some clouds and mist and stuff like that. So by the time I got up to uh, the first aid station, which was about nine miles in, um, I was pretty chilled in the aid station um, and having to dig out like every, all the layers I had and my, my hands were cold because my gloves were wet and it was fine once I got moving, but, but being still was pretty cold and it was only, you know, maybe upper fifties at that point, but just enough to really get you chilled. Hmm. Is, is that typical for this time of year? Yeah, I think it's a pretty temperate climate, like most of the year, especially, you know, starting in spring like that. Um, I don't think it gets overly hot during the summer even. So, cool. Very but they cool. can get some some pretty good storms out there. Mm. Uh, you mentioned, you know, getting to the first aid station, which I guess we could also mention that this was a odd start time. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, so it's a midnight start time on Friday night. Um, because it, uh, cause it runs then, you know, basically all night, Friday night or, you know, Friday night into Saturday. Um, it, um, you know, I did my best to try to take a nap on Friday, but honestly I didn't, I mean, I laid down several times and 
may have briefly snoozed for 15 minutes or something like that. But, but yeah, basically it, um, it was, uh, it was two nights of no sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> we worked on trying to get this into, um, ultra pacer and, and we're having yeah. some, some, you know, problems, um, getting it, you know, to kind of calculate with the, the cutoff times. Um, what was the overall cutoff for this race? So the overall cutoff was 32 hours. So it had to be by, I think that's 8 a.m. Sunday morning. Um, and the you can you can make this race a Western States qualifier if you finish it in less than 29 hours. So that was my A goal was to try to finish in, in 29 hours or less. Um, and so I had used the Ultra Pacer program uh, and put in a 28-hour pace um, because I figured that would just give me a little cushion and all that stuff. And it was, uh, it's very interesting. Cause I have to, I have to look, maybe I have to dig a little deeper and see like where maybe that it started to, to deviate, but I was kind of right on that 28 hour pace, mm -hmm. um, for the first third or so. And then it was that middle of the course that, that part of the course that looks like it's the, the, the shorter mountains, mm -hmm. But because they're more technical and difficult um, and because they were during the day and it was a little warmer, some of the climbs were probably a little slower because of that. Um, I lost some time. And more importantly, by the time I got to that halfway point, I was completely like mentally destroyed and coming into an aid station later than I thought and getting close to the cutoff. I started to just kind of get down on myself about it. But in reality, um, I wasn't that far behind my estimated arrival time, um, which is sort of interesting looking back on it. I had, I had estimated I was going to get to that halfway point at about 10 minutes after three. And I rolled in there at three 30, which isn't that much later, right. but the cutoff was four. Uh, and yeah. I had, to, you know, I wanted to change my shoes, my shirt. I needed to get rid of all my stuff and swap out a bunch of things. And I was just, I, I, kind of was thinking I wasn't going to make it. And yet I rolled out of there at, at, you know, 10 minutes to four, um, which, you know, it's only 10 minutes ahead of cutoff, but on, but on paper, at least it looked like I probably could have, you know, taken a shot at that 29 hour finish still. But the problem was that the next thing was a straight up climb. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Going up to uh, Pico Rubias, 4,780 foot climb over the course of, you know, a little bit less than six miles. Oof. So brutal. brutal. It was just slow. You know, yeah. that was, there, was no, yeah. there was no way that was going to happen fast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's, I mean, it's, it's a good tool. Ultra pacer, obviously, you know, yeah. and kind of gives you a, kind of a guesstimate because it, it does, it kind of takes that calculation uh, based off of, you know, elevation gain descent uh, you can even put right. in like heat factor you know through the course of the day and such um and you can even change your curve like starting out a little bit faster and slowing down it's it's right pretty neat tool, I'd, be but... to, I'd be able to tweak it i think based on my experience from this i'd be able to tweak it a little more accurately also being able to put in some of the the terrain changes you mm -hmm. know some of the technicality because mm -hmm. because to me it didn't it wasn't clear to me how much stairs can be considered a technical trail sure 
um, because normally it just seems like stairs are stairs, but, but right. when the stairs are off camber and at weird angles and made out of, you know, boulders sometimes and wet and muddy, and sometimes they're wood and <laughs> sometimes they're like, you know, a foot and a half tall yeah. each step. And it's like, yeah. Oh my God, it was just killing me on the way down. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough because that does slow you down on the way down, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I got passed down. by people on the way down and I would I would end up catching them all on the way up. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Um let's let's go back to the the start. Um so um I gotta imagine pretty exciting, even at midnight, you know, it's gotta be pretty exciting having, you know, uh, is is it a thousand in the 115k or a thousand just overall with all the races combined? Uh, no, it's, it's almost a thousand in the 115 K. Wow, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, that's... So it was a huge crowd. Yeah. Uh, loud, mm. you know, loud music there. Right. You know, the announcers are on a big PA system and they're yelling out stuff, you know, in, in three different languages. <laughs> um, and everybody's amped up and there's a, you know, TV cameras there and bright lights everywhere. And everybody <laughs> around you is from a different country and all these different languages. I mean, it was, it was a trip. It was tons of energy, really fun. Nice. Did you, know. did you feel pretty energized? I mean, like, you know, I've, I've stepped up to the line at midnight at like Hellgate and I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care how I excited everybody is. I'm tired. <laughs> um, I wasn't feeling that at all. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was feeling like totally fired up and ready. Um, yeah, I mean, I I do pretty well with with sleep deprivation, anyways. I just have you know background I, that I worked in the emergency room for a long time prior to this, and so did shift work and was able to do that. And I had just recently, two weeks prior to that, spent all night awake at Umstead, you know, within the aid station, and then went out for a four hour run after that. So. I had done really good sleep deprivation training um, prior to this. So that actually never really became an issue for me. Um, you know, I didn't get the sleepies at any point when I was running, thankfully. So, uh, but yeah, that, that midnight start was, was fun. It was super exciting. It was, you know, a huge crowd there seeing us off. And then cool thing about this race is that you do, you do a little climb, you do like a, what is it? A 350 meter climb in the first mile um you crest this little hill and you drop down into the neighboring town which is a very small town but you go across this bridge uh that sort of loops through the town and there's a whole ton of more people there um you know fans you know family just lining the streets making tons like, of noise cowbells yeah. and those vuvuzela horns <laughs> and you can hear it from you know a mile and a half away as you're coming in and you run through this section and everybody's high-fiving, everybody's screaming. That's probably one of the highest heart rates I logged in the entire <laughs> race because I was so amped up as I went through there. <laughs> Laughing and high-fiving and it's, you're only like, you know, you're barely into the race at all. You're right. like a mile and a half into the race. <laughs> and it's like, but like, you know, it's just after midnight, you know? Yeah, like... it's just after midnight, you're all stoked, you know, 1 a.m. And like straight after that, you just, you finish this cool little thing and you just turn around and you just start climbing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so much for that. Now you just got to settle into this, I don't know, three hour climb to get up to the top of this thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember 
remember UTMB just like looking up and just seeing the headlights like yeah. oh my god like that's they're like above going. you it's not yeah. it's not that they're ahead of you above you they're literally above you oh yeah yeah like it's crazy like how am I going up there yeah and, like switchback sure. after switchback after switchback that's how yeah. you're doing it yeah yeah well, um you know as we mentioned earlier John is from the the research triangle area which isn't known for its tremendous elevation gain and descent <laughs> so um you know uh we had to be a little bit more creative and uh, you know, John, you can be you know as honest as you want. You know, like there was there were some things on the plan that you know we didn't get to for various yeah. reasons. But you know, you want to talk a little bit about like you know some of the things you did to try to prep for this. Yeah, I mean, um, we we were doing we did a lot of um, you know the 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 mountain legs routine um, that was added on to so many different days in my runs, and <laughs> and I would you know. It, I, I used to hate that, but every time I started doing that in preparation for this race, I kept thinking to myself, I, this is going to be all those stairs I'm going up. Right. And I really think that that, you know, that simple little routine of, of hopping up and down the stair and doing the lunges. Um, I think that that did very well for me, um, you know, overall in terms of my ability to climb, um, my ability to descend, that was a whole different thing. And I don't know, you know, in retrospect, I talked to a few people about it after the race. And one guy said that, you know, he was agreeing that there was a problem and he said he was going to start doing slack line training and had another guy talk to me about running downhill sideways, like going running, you know, foot, foot crossing, you know, sideways downhill. And then the other way sideways downhill yeah. to try to like develop your quads for this eccentric motion that is like really hard to train for essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we had we had talked about me trying to run a double Mount Mitchell ascent, which would have been fantastic training for this, honestly. Um, but it, the day that I was supposed to go up there, I wasn't feeling well, you know, the day before. And so it just didn't make any sense to go up there. It was so cold and, you know, stress my body out. And so I ended up bailing on that and um, and just going down to some parking garage that had six floors. And I ran up and down stairs there for an hour and a half. And that was helpful. I think that was helpful more mentally than anything, just to, just to feel like I did something, but those stairs were so easy. Oh my God. Uh, those were just the sweetest little pitiful, <laughs> little normal built to stairs. <laughs> Every step the same. It was like, Oh, those are stairs. <laughs> and you'll see some stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hard thing, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a hard thing to replicate is, uh, yeah you know, being as, as precise and exact as like what you would see at, at something like Madeira. Um, because you know, all of our structures really, it's like you said, they're, you know, yeah. they're uniform, right? Like, you know, uh -huh. whereas like in Madeira, it's like, you know, these were chiseled out of stone. So there's no yeah. like uniformity. Like it's so, yeah. It felt, it felt more like climbing. If you were to take the steepest sections of profile trail going up Mount, uh, you know, uh, sure. Grandfather mountain, Yep. Or or that trail going up that one backside section at uh, Pilot Mountain mm -hmm. or even the very, very top of Hanging Rock or something like that. Right. But, but those are very short sections. Right. Um, right. You know, you had we, we had me go up to South Mountains and, and climb the waterfall steps. Um, yep. And those are, you know, that that was good stuff, except they were so short. Right. Right. They, just feel, they feel long. They yeah. have felt long for me for years. Anytime I've done you know, South mountains, marathons or something. Yeah. And I'm struggling up those stairs and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is so hard. <laughs> and that is nothing. 
<laughs> it's it's amazing how it warps our perception. <laughs> when you have a three hour climb of oh. that, and you're not just like stopping and and taking a nap during that time, you're just constantly moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe stop to breathe for five seconds, ten seconds at a time, but like you're just yeah. there for the next yeah. three hours climbing. It's I, like I I think the only thing that you really could do is just have a stairmaster or access to yeah. a stairmaster and just do that. We use the treadmill, you know, to do yeah. incline because we didn't have a stairmaster. But right. I mean, that would be the only other option is really, you know, just you know instead of treadmill, plug in stairmaster, you know, right, right, stairmaster. Uh, which again, you know, you've got this uniform step, just boop 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 boop. But I mean, right, that'd probably be. Yeah, but it's something but yeah. and it's like the, right. the mountain legs routine at least that that was something um yeah. that got me that got me some good quad strength for stepping up for sure yeah. um and i you know that coupled with the help of my poles and and just some some mental fortitude uh, definitely got me up the the climbs i i think reasonably well honestly like yeah. i said i was often passing people or leading uh, groups of guys I uh, had some guys that I stayed with for the most of the second half of the race that um, that would say to me that they liked my pace uphill because it was just steady and and constant forward. And I, I got that at I've gotten that at other races, too, where, you know, people have have not wanted to pass me, you know, because somebody's on your tail. You're always like, hey, you want to go around, you want to go around. But people don't want to pass me because they like whatever pace I'm setting. But once I'd start going downhill, um, you know, my quads were just so trembly that I would become just a little more timid on some of the really technical stair stuff. And I would just defer and let people go past me that could that could vomit a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Did you lose much time in the aid stations themselves? A little bit more than I wanted to, or at least that I estimated on the the ultra pacer chart. I was I was hoping to get in and out of most aid stations in around five minutes, and it usually took me a little longer than that. But some of that's because um, these aid stations were a little bit crowded always, mm-hmm. um, so sometimes it was a little tough to to move around and get to the stuff you needed to get, and you kind of had to do everything yourself. Um, it's a really funny thing too, because Europeans, they like to sit down in the aid station and have a meal. Like every aid station, people were sitting down with a plate of stuff. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and yet, you know, the same guys that would be sitting down there eating, they had gotten there ahead of me and I would leave before them, but then they'd catch up to me. So you know, it all works out, but that's their style versus yeah. my style was always just, get in and out. I was always in a hurry to get out of there. Um, you know, never wanted to sit down all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, the aid stations took just a little longer than I expected. Uh, one of the aid stations, um, the, the middle of the course aid station, I had estimated 15 minutes and it ended up taking me 20 minutes, but that's still pretty good. Um, and then the station before that, I only was supposed to take five minutes, and that one also took me twenty minutes because I had to go to the bathroom and I had to, you know, find some stuff for myself, and you know, so it ended up taking a little longer in the aid stations, and that yeah. that definitely made an impact. What what, what was about the uh, the middle aid station? What did you plan so long? Were you swapping shoes? Yeah, that was my my plan. There was to swap shoes, uh, shirt, you know, um, to take like I basically had everything in my pack for the first half already um, because that was the only place where you could have a drop bag. So I had all the food that I needed were, you know, was broken up into either what was in my pockets of the pack 
plus a baggie, um, you know, for halfway through the first half. Mm. And then um, the plan at the halfway point was to unload all that crap, restock everything, um, you know, get some real food, troubleshoot any, you know, hot spots on the foot, anything like that. So I had given myself 15 minutes for that. Um, and it ended up taking me 20, but, and, and part of that was just cause I was kind of, you know, feeling wah, wah, and <laughs> needed a little bit of butt kicking by my sister. Nice. Um, well, let me talk about that in a second. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, aid station fair, you mentioned that there wasn't much assistance. Obviously it was a very crowded atmosphere. So, um, yeah, I mean, there were volunteers there that were great, but it was, but it was just, you know, you had to f- kind of figure your way around people and everybody had their poles out and stuff mm. like that. So, yeah. uh, some of the places were a little bit of a small room where the, the water and stuff would be. So you just had to get to your water stuff. Um, the food was probably pretty typical European stuff. Um, you know, they had, um, like blocks of cheese and they had bread and they had, you know, some sort of like, uh, it was a cake thing that was sort of, uh, I don't know, like nutmeg and cinnamon flavored or something like that. Um, yeah. So they had some meat thing there too. Um, and then they had fruit. Um, it was the first time in an ultra that I've really suddenly, suddenly went to town on orange slices um, at the top of Pico Rivio, the, the huge, the, you know, the, the highest peak up there. I hit this one aid station and I reached for an orange for some reason. And then me and one guy just kept going. Like we were just in a, it was a feeding friend. <laughs> me and this German guy just eating oranges frantically. So that was, that was a thing. Um, <laughs> uh, they had, they had soup, uh, which was fine. Uh, they had pasta, usually like some, just some noodles that you could put, you know, red sauce on, or they'd have some sort of weird meat sauce and, I kind of avoided the sauces. I just didn't know how they were going to settle in my stomach, but the pasta went down. Okay. Right on. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So you talked about how, you know, you got to halfway and, and you're switching out your shoes, but you're also having a pity party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's, let's kind of uh, dive into that. So tell me so, about this. So this halfway point, it's, if you look at the profile of this race, there are these huge mountains, right? It's it's kind of like your eyes get distracted by these huge mountains. And the halfway point is a, is a little town called Corral das Freiras, which is the uh, where basically where nuns used to go run and hide in the mountains from the the conquering, you know, bad guys. Okay. Um, so it's this little kind of semi mountain town. It's at uh, I don't know what the elevation is. Let's see. It's at two thousand feet somewhere maybe i don't know it's you know it's it's after you've done some big climbs and it's right after you've done this crushing descent like straight down (laughs) brutal like on the map you can see oh yeah it is it is pretty straight up and down okay and then you get down it and and on the way down you see the town so you know you're getting close you're like oh yeah i'm gonna make it to the aid station that's that's corral right down there you get down in the town, you have to go through some streets in a little bit. And you're like, okay, it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. You're looking at your watch. You're like, huh, I'm getting close to my estimated time. And then all of a sudden you're on this road and you see this wall, literally this giant, like 500 foot tall retaining wall on the side of a road with stairs that are built in zigzagging up the stairs and the nice person nice volunteer at the bottom with their yellow you know vest vest on saying 
hurry, hurry, (laughs) hurry up to her. And you get to these more stairs and you're like, dude, really? And she says, only 1.5 kilometers left. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, I'm supposed to be here already. And now you want me to go up that? So then you slog up these stairs, right? And everybody's coming back the other way because this is like an out and back section. And they're they're saying, hurry, hurry, (laughs) make the cutoff. And you're like, dude, I don't even know how far we're going to (laughs) go. Then you get to the top of the stairs and you still have to like wind through this little tiny town, these little streets, and it's quiet. And it's like, I don't know, it's in the afternoon. So everybody in town (laughs) is asleep probably. (laughs) And finally you get to this like school and they loop you around and you come down into their little like gymnasium area and you're just like demoralized at that point because you've gone (laughs) way further than you expected to get to this aid station. And that's the funny thing is that I was I was 30 minutes ahead of cutoff, but I felt like I was about to be pulled. Like in my mind, I was like, oh my God, I'm not even gonna make this cutoff. And I was 30 minutes ahead of it, which is you know, nobody loves to be that close to a cutoff, but I've been there plenty of times before. <laughs> and and on my estimated time of arrival, I was only 20 minutes behind my estimated time. So really, yeah. I was okay shape, but mentally, I was not. And as I rolled in, my sister was there. And thank goodness, too, because she had texted me before that saying that the rental car had broken down. Oh, another whole funny story on her side. Um, because apparently, Gazolia... Uh, is not gasoline. That is- <laughs> oh, geez. So yeah, that happened. Oh thing. my gosh. <laughs> so, so they somehow managed to get a replacement rental car in time to still meet me at this halfway point. Cause I was coming into this aid station thinking I was going to not only be really close to the cutoff and, and my brain was fried and I didn't want to run anymore, but that I would have to do all of this stuff that I wanted to do myself. So I roll in, she says, how you doing? I'm like, not good. I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm not even sure if I'm going to get out of here in time. I have no idea if I'll make the next aid station because I got to climb all the way up to Pico Rubio. She said, let's just see what we can do. Let's get you in here and get you changed. She just didn't, she did the perfect, it was the perfect crew response. (laughs) Not not like saying, oh, you're fine. You know, it's going to be great. She just said, let's just change your shoes, change your shirt, get you food and see where you're at. And I'm like, okay. So I sat down and of course, at that point, all it takes is just a little bit of like getting that process going. And I know in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I'm never going to pull myself from a race, you know, unless I've got some dire circumstance. Cause I did that at Barkley and I kind of always regretted that I pulled myself and I thought I should have been forced to leave the course by race officials. So <laughs> I said this time I was not going to, I was not going to leave this course until somebody cut the corner off my bib. Um, so yeah, so I mean, by the time I was sitting there eating and I had done all the stuff I needed to do and I was changed, I had fresh shoes and socks and I thought, well, what the hell am I doing? You know, I got 10 minutes till cutoff and get up and start walking and grab some food in my hand and walk past this, past this guy from Poland that I had been walking with for a while and whacked him on the back and said, we're getting out of here. And he <laughs> waved to me and I headed down the road and back out through that village and back down those damn stairs. And, oh, and there were people coming in still and, and I, and I kept saying to them, okay, good luck, good luck. And this poor woman was crying as she was coming up the stairs oh. and she didn't speak English, but I just like, I didn't know what to say. And it's the one time I used 
my Portuguese disculpe, which means I'm sorry. And I gave her a little hug and said, disculpe. And she said, oh, she kept going. So oh. I know she wasn't going to make it. A lot of people didn't make cutoff at that place. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that was only, that's 63 kilometers. So that's what, 39 miles or something in. But, mm. but after some pretty punishing uh, climbs and descents. Right. So, right. So, well, um, so you, like, as you said earlier, you're coming out of there and then you had that the big climb. Yeah. Um, what did you say? Pico Rosa or something like that? Pico Ruvio. 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 Ruvio, which is uh, 1,800 meters above sea level, uh, which is about 6,000 something feet. Um, so, you know, the elevation of Mount Mitchell. Um, but it's, but we're coming from, uh, what was that? I think it ended up being a 49. 4780 uh, gain uh, feet. Man. Man. So, did they have a cutoff? Part of the cool thing about it was that I knew I was about to go into the part of the course that I was the most excited to see. This is the most beautiful. It was daytime. I knew it was going to be hard climbing, but um, but this is the part that I was sort of was looking forward to um, the whole time, and I was I was disappointed that I was going to you know, maybe miss a cutoff halfway through and have only seen really nighttime stuff and yeah. some, you know, reasonably beautiful things still, but, but nothing like what I was about to see. And and I was rewarded big time with that climb. I mean, I got up to the top of Pico Rivio at sunset above the clouds, Oof. which was just stunning. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And even climbing through the clouds up to there, I I kept saying to people around me that I felt like I was in, you know, the land of the lost or some prehistoric <laughs> place and some pterodactyl was going to come and snatch <laughs> my hat off my head any second. Uh, it's just amazing. I mean, just so, so beautiful. Um, and then uh, there's a second peak. Uh, uh, it's called Pico Arriero. Um, and it was after Pico Rivio and it's, and there's a bunch of ups and downs in there. And some of them are really sketchy. Um, I really wanted to film some of the little mini descents that were there and some of the stairs you had to go down, but I was so petrified that I would either slip and die or that I would drop a pole or drop the camera and I would just never see it again at that point. So it's like, yeah, yeah I'll just remember these pictures in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how was your, were you kind of feeling a little bit better mentally? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was still, um, as I was hiking up, I was still thinking, okay, you know, there's still a possibility because this felt so slow. There's still a possibility. I'm not going to make the cutoff at Pico Rubio or the next cutoff, which was uh Chao de Lagoa, which was uh cutoff was supposed to be at 11 PM. So Pico was at 8 PM. And Chata Lago was on the backside, kind of going back down the mountain at 11 p.m. And I thought, well, if I don't make those cutoffs, at least I tried. At least I was working hard and made it up here. I got to see this all this amazing stuff. I'm just going into nighttime at this point anyway. So it's just going to be a long night. So if I don't make cutoffs, I'm, I'm going to be OK with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Somewhere coming down off of Pico Aririo, I decided I wanted to finish. Mm -hmm. I want to make it. So I try. I, I just kept moving and kept trying to move as best I could going downhill. And some of those downhills were still really steep. Um, you know, these these steep inclines sometimes that weren't stairs were even worse because then you're just your toes are just jamming into the front of your shoes no matter what you do with your laces. And right. 
um, all that stuff. And you just kind of, you know, do the stutter step for so long to try to keep going. And it was around this point also that uh, this uh, Polish guy uh, ended up, um, he and I were, had been running kind of on and off together. And he and I just started talking um, because he was trying to stay awake. And we oh. talked about everything. I mean, <laughs> that, that whole thing of like in an ultra, when you have a buddy and you end up sharing everything. I mean, we were talking about like all of our personal stuff, our careers, our families, our dreams and wishes. And then we got into like politics and U.S. healthcare <laughs> and the pharmaceutical <laughs> system and like crazy. I mean, like just kind of kept going and going. So it was really yeah. fun. He and I made pretty good friends. Um, and yeah, I made it into uh, Chato Lagoa, which is uh, at 52 miles or 83.8 K. And, and um, I was completely like refreshed, you know, legs tired, but like, let's go, let's do it. And my sister, God love her. She met me there with a lukewarm microwaved cheeseburger that she had brought from the apartment that we were in that I had left over there. And she's like, I have a cheeseburger that's still warm. Do you want it? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, in fact, Bartosz, my Polish friend, he, I said, I was going to go grab a cheeseburger. My sister had, he said, they have cheeseburgers here and I said, <laughs> for you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Just the Americans. <laughs> the Americans bring their own cheeseburgers. So yeah, I, I got through that aid station in much better frame of mind. And, um, and kind of cruised, uh, you know, it's a ton of descent from there, like basically all the way down to sea level before I saw my sister again. And I actually, uh, I actually beat my estimated time there, even though I was well behind my previous times, um, when I got to Porto de Cruz, which is the, the last aid station before the finish, she was still sleeping in her car. She wasn't expecting me for like another 15 or 20 minutes. So, oh, wow. um, so that was kind of good. And, and at that point I was just like, all right, let's just head out and, and kind of finish this thing. So the last 16 K, um, it, there's a little climb to get out of that seaside town. And then it's mostly along the coast. Um, and it's, a, it's basically flat. It's a very gradual uphill for a while. And then a little, a little short semi-technical downhill. And then it was completely flat all the way into town, uh, for the last like 5k. Um, but that coastal trail, I ended up being by myself for the most part, the whole time, because the guys that I've been running with, uh, stayed in the last aid station eating, you know, they, they had their uh -huh. food and I was like, I gotta go, I gotta get going. I don't know if I'm walking or running at this point. So I gotta just <laughs> keep going. But I ended up by myself a lot and uh, it was just really quiet out there. And there were these weird birds uh, that that make these bizarre noises. Um, what the hell are they called? They're kind of, they got a funny name, something or other K. Uh, anyway, I'll, you'll have to I'll have to play them for you, play a, a, a clip for it. Well, I actually recorded it on the, on the video that I did. You can hear them flying okay. over my head. They kind of go like, they make a weird sound in the middle of the dark. And oh, the other thing is that my headlight. So I had the first night I had used a headlight, one of those, um, uh, night core headlights. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing and super light. I had given it to my sister to recharge during the day. Right. It have been fine, except that the car broke down oh. and it was plugged into the car. Oh. <laughs> By the time it got back to me, it had gotten semi charged. So it lasted all the way until that last aid station. And then as, as I left that last aid station, it would be on and it would suddenly go dim oh. and it would go on the lowest mode for a little while. And then it would right. shut off. 
So I had my waist light, my Lumen 600, which was adequate, but it was that's all I had that was reliable because I was stupid and didn't pack an extra headlight. <laughs> so I would just have to turn on the headlight when I really needed it to look for something and then turn it <laughs> off again. And so it's kind of just like was going this little tiny pool of light right in front of me from my <laughs> Lumen 600, which I was worried that I didn't want to have it full power as well. So that would only be high sometimes. And <laughs> Anyways, I was just creeping along out there, you know, jogging where I could and started having mild hallucinations, which was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> the The rock walls have this uh, lichen sort of whitish uh, stuff spattered all over the place. Uh-huh. That stuff is just prime, <laughs> especially when you have a weird, weak light source that's not on your head. It's got yeah. a so you're getting this right. weird sort of reflection <laughs> and i was seeing faces i saw a, I saw i saw lisa simpson with her eyeballs gouged out that oh was kind gosh. of freaky. um <laughs> I saw a joker's mask oh my gosh um at one point on the side of the trail i saw a very clearly saw a full face motocross helmet no and it turned out to just be ferns no <laughs> um yeah it was it was really cool i was just laughing at all that stuff <laughs> that's great um so uh approaching the finish um you you obviously have your watch and you're looking at it what's it telling you so you know i it my my watch ended up having me closer to like 76 miles or something like that 118 Mm -hmm. i think k okay um but i knew i knew this part of the trail somewhat because i had hiked it a couple days earlier with my sister backwards during the day so I knew at what point it turned away from the coastal trail. And then I knew that it started on this Levada. The Levadas are these irrigation canals that are built all over the island and they have a little tiny trail next to them. And Levadas are, you know, for the most part, pretty flat because they're, you know, they're just moving the water around, but sometimes they have a slight downhill to them. So we're following this Levada for a while and it it seems to just go forever. Of course, it's whatever, three miles, but you can see the town and you're above the town, maybe, you know, 800 feet above town at least or more. Yeah. Uh, and you, you're cruising along this hillside, you know, to the left side of the town, which is on your right below you. And you can kind of hear the, the, the expo area and the finish line area and all that stuff. And then eventually you get to this sudden right turn that just plummets straight down the mountain. <laughs> and the first section is probably 200 yards long of just super steep dirt. Like there's nothing, but it's just dirt and it's like straight down and you're just like <laughs> skitter, 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 skitter with, you know, try not to trip and, you know, try not to let your toes just bust out of the front of your shoes until eventually you get to some stairs and they're pretty reasonable stairs. They're not like too difficult. They're just, you know, more and more stairs. And then finally it kind of dumps you out down on the little beachside boardwalk. And then you run along that. And as you approach the finish line shoot, it's a big, long finish line shoot, like a classic sort of, you know, looks like UTMB kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the shoot itself is probably nearly a hundred yards long, you know, maybe 50 yards long at least. And all the flags and everything. And then announcing your name as you come in and, you know, they have that little elevated platform as you go over the finish line. And, you know, I did a little leap in the air and the photographer (laughs) got it. (laughs) But yeah, then it's like, that's it. It's, you know, six o'clock in the morning, but he's asleep still. There's like five of you down there. Yep. 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 And what did the, what did the clock read? 
so I think it read, um, it was like, I think it was 6.57 in the morning or something like that, or 6.50 something in the morning. So that ended up being uh, just shy of 30 hours. Okay. So a uh, hair over the Western States qualifier, right? Yep. Yep. A little, yeah. a little over. And I think it was 30, I think it was close to 31 hours is what it was. Yeah. So it was okay. almost two hours over the Western States qualifier. Gotcha. So yeah. you, you, you'll probably have to look for another qualifier. Yes. Yeah, so I was already on the site uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to decide if I really want to do it or not. I mean, that's kind of the thing is to decide, well, you know, I've, I've got, I think I had four tickets, uh, and this year would have given me eight tickets. Right. Um, and if I got to squeeze something in, you know, what do I want it to be? Do I want to just do a hundred mile race where I just have to finish? Or do I want to try to do a hundred K somewhere where there's a time limit again? Um, and what can I afford and you know, sure. where can I, when can I do it and where can I do it? And, and really, is it that important? That's the other question I'm, I'm sure. kind of struggling with at this point is, you know, I could take a, def- a year mm-hmm. and just not worry about it. Right. Or is it, you know, is, is Western States for me, you know, still something that I'm going to keep planning my whole running calendar around, or do I just run whatever the heck I feel like, you know, <laughs> signing up for, which is completely reasonable too. Yeah. I don't know. to be to be discussed (laughs) that's still still in the process of deciding all right so madeira overall recommendations thumbs up two thumbs up absolutely absolutely god just i mean go to madeira just to vacation there if nothing else but but the race is amazing it's really well supported it's incredibly well marked my god they had so many trail markers it was fantastic nice um the aid stations, like I say, they get crowded um, because there are four different races at the same time. So there's a couple of spots where you're getting mixed in with the other racers. But mm-hmm. I was far enough back in the pack. I think the middle of the pack runners get that a little bit more. Sure. Um, but um, and like I said, sometimes it's a little crowded to try to get what you need and everything like that. But the, there, there are plenty of volunteers and they're very helpful. And, um, you know, it's just the, there's a language barrier. So you just have to get past that. Um, but the language barrier is kind of the coolest part too. I mean, being there amongst a whole bunch of Europeans, um, being one of only a tiny handful of Americans there. Um, you know, I got to meet Kareen Malcolm and Abby Hall after the race at, uh, at the awards ceremony and, uh, Kareen had to drop, um, because she had a problem with her ankle and, uh, and Abby was doing great, um, but ended up just having a rough time in the second half of the race. Um, but, um, but yeah, there's just like so few of us out there. Yeah. That's really just not a thing that Americans even know about. I mean, so many people that I talked to had, had maybe heard of Madeira, but didn't even know where it was really. And, um, the flight that I was on was a direct flight from New York and there was hardly anybody on the plane. Um, so I think the Americans just really haven't figured that, haven't discovered that place yet. Gotcha. Um, but the French and the Spanish and Germans and, <laughs> Obviously the Portuguese, they all know about it. And it's, it's one of the most popular Island destinations out there. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. How did your, how'd your friends do? Uh, Magnar did fantastic. He, um, he ran a a hundred miler with me at, um, at no business last year. 
uh, or year before last. And, um, and at that race, he stuck with me, uh, for the beginning. Cause he's a lot faster than me. <laughs> um, but he stuck with me for the first, I think in that race for the first 13 miles before he, uh, took off and he ended up top 10 in that race. So he decided that he was going to stick with me in the beginning of this race too, because he has a tendency to go out a little bit too fast and hard and sometimes blows up about halfway through. So <laughs> he, he stayed with me for, not 13 miles, uh, but maybe the first, I don't know, five or six miles, at least, uh-huh. at least through that, that big, exciting, you know, town where you're high five and everybody, and right. then as we climb back out of that hill, I could see him ahead of me and he would look back sometimes and he would wave and I'd see him ahead of me. And then he just, he was gone. He ended up finishing in like 23 hours and change. So he nice. just crushed it. Great. Uh, he had a great race, uh, felt good the whole time. Um, yeah, awesome. he, he had a really good time. And your friend from Poland, your new friend from Poland Poland came in uh, just a few minutes after me uh, finished. Yep. It was great. I got to be there at the finish line and high five him. And he immediately handed me his phone and said, friend me on Facebook. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic. So yeah, that was, that was kind of fun to be able to see some of those guys uh, come through that have been running with me uh, intermittently. And I even got, as I was going through, so everybody who's, I don't have it with me, but everybody who's in the race has a uh, bracelet they put on you at the beginning of the race that's color coded for whatever distance it is. Right. So everybody keeps their bracelets on all week while they're waiting for the race. And then even afterwards. So in the airport, I'm walking through the airport and some guy grabs me and says, did you finish in some thick <laughs> accent from whatever country he's in? Sure. And I said, yes, I did. He said, I remember you from so and such. And I had to drop at the same station Good job and everything. It was really funny. That's cool. Yep. Saw another guy waiting for, uh, waiting for his plane. And, uh, he had also dropped, but he had the same color wristband as me. And he was the one I started talking to about, uh, about training for descents. And he said he was, he was going to buy a slack line and that was going to be his quad training. (laughs) And like his wife saying, we, we have to board now we have to board. (laughs) No, wait, but what about, (laughs) that's awesome. It's kind of fun. I mean, it's just, it's such a trip because yeah. I, I I've done, I've done a bunch of these obviously. And, and, and you, you, you make tons of friends, right. And in a, in a U.S. ultra, it seems like from the get go, people start chatting. Um, it maybe take, maybe takes five or 10 miles, but, but for the most part, people start chatting in this race. I didn't start like having people really start communicating with me until well into halfway or more. And oftentimes it was me instigating that. Yeah. Like people just kind of didn't didn't talk all that much unless they were you know from similar countries i guess you know gotcha gotcha um but yeah there was a portuguese couple that that kind of semi adopted me because they would <laughs> pass me on the downhills and i would pass them on the uphills and <laughs> my sister got to see them at one point and said hi to them cuz she had helped them with something and and they said oh who are you with and she said oh you know the american with the beard and they said oh santa claus <laughs> <laughs> apparently i'm santa claus too that's great oh that's fantastic oh my god john that's such a great oh what a great experience it's so cool yeah. and congrats on on the finish man that's Thank i mean you. yeah such a tough race so um amazing yeah um any other final memories or thoughts that you you know want to share uh yeah i mean just uh just what an amazing place that is i mean it's um it's just like magic. I mean, so much of that course has just these, these amazing changes in, in, in the, the, what are the biomes, I guess, you know, you're yeah. in jungle and then you're in these rocky cliff faces with, 
these weird tropical plants just clinging to the sides of the walls and then you're above the clouds and it's volcanic rock and um yeah just just so amazing we we did a couple of little shakeout runs uh ahead of time and <laughs> and i know i kept apologizing in my uh, in my training notes saying i knew i was supposed to do 40 miles at a really low pace or 40 minutes at a really low pace but i ended up doing an hour and a half thousand feet again sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad it didn't come back to bite you in the butt. <laughs> right. Well, maybe who knows? <laughs> uh, but I think I think those hills would have kicked my butt either way if yeah, I had completely yeah. been compliant with tapering versus yeah. no, I, done, so that's fair. There's that's so fair. much to see there. Uh <laughs> and it's so beautiful. I just I really want to go back. Nice. Very cool. <clears throat> we mentioned earlier your website, which is uh, is it finding yes, awesome? Finding yeah, I wasn't I wasn't cool enough to get the dot com, but <laughs> thing awesome, all one word. And I've just got some uh I, I just uploaded the video footage from this race, um, which cool. is apologetically long, but um I didn't feel like <laughs> out anything because it was all good. And, and uh, connecting with you on socials, is that also on your, your website? Yep, that's also on the website. Um I'm just uh whatever John Goldfield and Facebook and I'm actually Johnny Tulips. Uh, on Instagram, uh, Johnny with the number two lips. And that's a, that's a whole band reference thing from years ago. Cause I play harmonica. And you're also on Strava. If anybody wants to I'm on Strava. It. Yep. Cool. All right, man. Well, John, once again, congratulations. Um, thank Thanks. you for sharing your story here. That was, that was so fun and awesome to hear. So you're wonderful. <laughs> thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Well, congratulations to John. Uh, it's fantastic. Just, uh, I mean, it was like, we knew it was going to be challenging and, uh, receiving the text messages from John's sister, uh, in the group chat, you know, just, you know, hearing how it was going low points, high points, you know, he's going to finish. It's just, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was, you know, emotional roller coaster, um, sitting there biting my teeth. You know, he, uh, he kind of, you know, like he said, he started at midnight, but here, uh, it was, uh, I think it was, I forget what time it was, but you know, it's just, we were, um, <laughs> you know, off on timing. So I woke up and hadn't, I didn't see any, you know, kind of updates. So I texted, and, you know, the next one that was coming through was, he was going into that last aid station. So it was cool, cool to follow along. So well done, John. Um, you know, like I said, just, Really enjoyed hearing about that adventure. So thank you for sharing it. Uh, so far as everything goes here in the world of MR running pains, um, training is progressing, um, building back up. I uh, got just in, uh, well, just under 90 miles last week. I think I got about 87 in last week, which has been the highest I've done thus far. Uh, and that was with uh, just a long run of 21 miles. Um, so things have been good. I've uh, been using that... Uh, kind of go for a, a run and then just um, hike the steep climbs over in the um, the homestead neighborhood, um, which has been giving me over 2,000 feet of gain in, you know, nine or 10 miles. Um, you know, just kind of, like I said, hiking those and, and then running the downhills, which is really, you know, what I, I'm liking because um, I want to get myself prepared for, uh, for Western States, which, you know, according to my training peaks is seven weeks away. Uh, just excited about that. So, um, and, uh, so training, yeah, training's rolling along, feeling good. Um, legs, uh, legs seem to be recovering well from, from the mileage. So I'm very happy about that. 
So uh, continue to progress there. Um, no updates, no new stuff from the Western States front. Um, you know, uh, I have two athletes that are running uh, or were running the Tahoe 200, uh, which was postponed to July. So, um, you know, things are, are being affected out there. I had two athletes run in canyons and, and that course was, uh, was affected, especially the hundred mile. Uh, one of my guys ran the hundred miler and, uh, yeah. So, you know, obviously things are being affected out in the, uh, you know, the Tahoe Auburn area. So, um, excited to see what, uh, opportunity we have out there. Um, getting, you know, just kind of getting in my head, you know, what, what it's going to be. And, uh, I'm going to start my heat training protocol here soon, uh, start getting in the sauna. Um, you know, the, the track season is winding down. So, um, I'll have a little bit more free time so I can get over there to the sauna. Um, you know, a few days I'll probably just run while I'm there and then just hop in the sauna right afterwards, um, uh, to get the most benefit from it. Uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, all that stuff's coming up. It's crazy that it's, it's come to that point. I'm excited. Uh, obviously <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, um, trying to, trying to stay healthy, you know, trying to be mindful of, uh, doing the ancillary things, taking care of my ankle, been doing my exercises, um, at least twice a week. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a little bit tough lately just with everything going on yesterday. I missed a strength session, um, which, you know, uh, obviously it's, it's one of the first things that we miss as runners, uh, when things are just super busy. Uh, we had our conference meet yesterday and I just couldn't seem to find time to, to squeeze it in. I was already getting up early to, to get some work done and, and get my run in and all that stuff. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, we miss it and, um, we have to give ourselves grace and, you know, try to make it up at some other point if it makes sense or if it's uh, something you feel beneficial. So, um, but uh, anyhow, um, I, I appreciate that athletes continue to reach out. Um, I do. Um, I will have a few spots coming up here as um, Hellbender um, comes to a conclusion. I'll have a few athletes taking a break. So um, I will have a few spots opening up. So um, if you're training for, you know, uh, early fall or a fall race and want to talk about coaching, don't hesitate to reach out. Happy to do so. Uh, do through uh, any communication uh, that are in the show notes. Uh, feel free to reach out in any which way. Uh, keep those questions coming too. Uh, really enjoy hearing from you and, and what questions you have and topics you'd like discussed. Um, that really, you know, it, it's it's nice, you know, because I feel like it's it's something you want to hear. Uh, so please um, reach out about those things. Uh, I want to thank John once again for for coming on uh for sharing his story and uh i want to thank you guys for listening and being a part of this podcast uh if you can share it on your podcast share uh channel uh you know share it uh, to friends anybody you feel might be beneficial um if you can light it rate, rate it all those things help i really appreciate that um patreon supporters I continue to to thank you for your support for let me allowing me to keep doing this um if you can support on patreon that link is in the show notes um, still fundraising for Vermont and Leadville. Um, the goals have been reached, but you know that doesn't mean we can't still help uh, these challenged athletes. So um, if you feel that you are in a position to help out and want to donate, the two links are in the show notes. Uh, the Vermont Adaptive, obviously, that goes to the Vermont 100 um, and the uh, the challenged athletes of the uh, um, 
the Vermont um, Adaptive. And then uh, there's the Challenged Athlete, which is my uh, Leadville fundraiser, which is more of a West Coast-based program. But, uh, you know, the monies go to a very worthy cause. So if you are in the position to donate, I continue to thank you for uh, for being a part of that. Um, you know, as I said, it, it has become a, a great part of my why um, and, uh, and just continues to grow and strengthen me. So thank you all for being a part of that, for being a part of this. So until next time, keep running, my friends.